a little remnant of the work of the lawyers. Um, uh, the very fact that there are uh, law texts at all in 23 and 10 or the Book of Ballycommon uh, would probably seem strange at first sight to most people. Uh, but the question I wish to ask here is, is it really strange to have uh, law texts in a manuscript mostly containing texts of other varieties, the varieties of which we have learned, some of which we have uh, uh, learnt about today, poetry, literary texts, uh, sagas, wisdom texts, and so on. Now, in medieval Ireland, um, law and literature, in fact, were not regarded as mutually exclusive uh, categories, so that we found a great deal of what might strictly be seen as literature in the law texts and legal matters uh, uh, reflected in the literary texts. Uh, the overlap of law and literature goes back a long time, and from an early period, we have evidence for a close relationship between the law and the work of the learned poets, the Philid. Thus, for example, is item number one in your handout, uh, in the text Orkech Nurir, which can probably be dated to the 8th century, but certainly no later than the 9th, uh, the level of competence expected of the olive, the highest grade of learned poet, is expressed as follows. Uh, what is the competence, grade, and honour price of each of them from small to great? It is not difficult. The competence of an olive first. He has 350 compositions, that is 50, there's a typo there, uh, for each grade. Uh, he is knowledgeable in all historical learning and he is knowledgeable in the jurisprudence of Irish law. This is the important thing. His honour price is 40 shades, which is the same as the honour price of a king. Now, one of the things you will notice that is not mentioned in this list, as so many of these lists, they're exemplary rather than um, exhaustive. There's no mention of metrics. You might think that Meter would be the first thing that you'd uh, uh, mention in regard to a poet. But law is there. Um, the connection of the poets with the law is also reflected in fictional scenarios, such as the account on the nature of Irish law in Chorus uh, Basna. That's again on handout one. Uh, this is the uh, uh, account of the, the, uh, yeah, the origin of Irish law. Um, it was after the, the uh, men of Ireland accepted the faith from Patrick that the two laws uh, the law of nature and the law of letter, the letter were combined. Uh, the learned poet, and this is the important thing in Philip, uh, set forth the law of nature. It is Dovtach who first showed reverence to Patrick. It is he who first rose up before him in Tara. Um, what is significant here is that for the late 7th century author of th this text, it was perfectly natural to present a fillet as the expert in the law. Now, for the early modern Irish period, uh, uh, moving on, uh, that is the time of writing of uh, 23 and 10, uh, you can see the, the important article by Catherine Sims on the handout, The Poetic Brehan Lawyers of Early 16th Century Ireland. And uh, it's worth quoting from uh, her abstract. Uh, where she says, many of the most eminent judges of Brehan law in late medieval and early modern Ireland were proficient poets also, and the poetic art was studied in their law schools. It is argued here that this practice arose on a number of grounds. The poets taught the correct grammar and spelling of classical Irish used by the lawyers in their pleadings. Irish literature supplied a fund of past mythical judgments customarily cited in the old Irish law tracts as precedents. Now, a further consideration is a form, the formal consideration. The law texts are written not only in prose, most of them are actually in, in prose, but are also in rhyming syllabic verse and the uh, alliterative, elaborate form of composition known as Ruskith. Um, poems by the, for example, in the, in the early modern Irish period, uh, poems by the late uh, 13th century, uh, Gullan and the Nave MacEagan are discussed in uh, Catherine Sims's paper. And I give an example of Ruskith on the handout. Um, 
This is about the effects of satire. Uh, verbal blades have cut beneath his skin so that it is evident in his countenance that he's been wounded by words. And this has got uh, peculiar um, linguistic uh, features. Uh, Timesis, they're marked by bold, the rot and tesnodar, and rot beath uh, examples. It's highly alliterative um, and uh, uses rare words, and it is very difficult. Um, Okay, uh, so these are the, the formal connections then, um, and uh, uh, then there is a mention by uh, Catherine Sims the fact that law texts often make use of narratives to function as leading cases or to illustrate uh, legal principles. For example, item three on the handout, uh, uh, the saga of Fergus MacLeod, uh, in the paper referred to there on the handout, Neil MacLeod argues, and I quote, that the saga was written as a legal teaching tale, with its plot twists deliberately designed to highlight aspects of the law. And Catherine Sims in the paper I've referred to already uh, comments that we may find it absurd that such legends were used as justification for various points of law, but the practice is not so very different from ancient Roman schools of rhetoric, which used the plots of well-known stories or incidents from Greek history as imaginary lawsuits to train students in disputation. Um, the, uh, then we have tales with legal elements. Uh, some self-standing tales are almost entirely legal uh, in nature. Thus, for example, the first judgment uh, in Ireland, um, edited recently by Fang J. Chu in uh, the uh, Fesher for Neil MacLeod there, item four on the handout. Um, this, the first judgment, is mentioned in the Laura Gavala, uh, the book of the taking of Ireland. It is presented as being given by Avergian, who is a fille, again, importantly. And uh, it's about the uh, a dispute about the di dividing up uh, the 12 deer uh, killed as a result of a hunting expedition. Um, the tale then, uh, second item under number four, the tale by Im Athgar Nalilogus Art, edited by Johan Kortals, is essentially a fictional court case uh, concerning paternity. And a noteworthy feature of this is that the pleas uh, and the judgments are cast in elaborate poetic language, uh, again, in a form of Ruskath. Uh, other tales uh, contain significant legal elements, thus the tale Cúchollin and Conlaich, edited by O'Keefe, 1904, item number four on the handout. Um, uh, the first half consists of the, the well-known tale about Cúchollin slaying his son, while the second is a detailed commentary on the legal implications of his deed. Uh, and then for further uh, instances of connections between law and literature, I refer you to the articles referred to on, uh, noted on the handout uh, number five. Now, a separate but uh, related issue is the possibility that knowledge of the legal system may be assumed as a given by authors of narrative texts. In other words, if we uh, familiarize ourselves with the early Irish legal system, uh, it can help us better to understand the literature. Uh, so some texts, even though they contain no direct quotations from legal texts, uh, it can be shown that legal principles play an important uh, but uh, more subtle role. And a good example is, uh, I've discussed this before, uh, is from perhaps the best known of all early Irish uh, tales, the Thornbow Coelna, um, item number six on the handout, uh, uh, um, Dogs in the Laws. And uh, in the, uh, from the law texts which deal with uh, compensation for uh, kill, killing or injuring animals, uh, we learn that if someone kills another person's dog, not only is compensation paid for the offence, 
but also that a substitute dog must be provided. Furthermore, a person must be provided to perform the functions of the dog until the substitute dog is ready uh, to take over. Uh, this, of course, reminds one of the well-known story of how the young Shea as he was originally known, killed the hand of Colin the smith, and as a result was given the new name of Ku Colin, uh, literally the hand of Colin. After uh, his hand was killed, Colin laments the loss of his valued guard dog, and Shailantha replied, as on the handout there, uh, taken from Cecilia Rahali's edition, uh, with one uh, small uh, alteration. Ku uh, uh, says then, that is a Nimor Briach Shin Tra Olingela. That is no great matter, said the boy. A whelp of the same breed will be reared by me for you, and until such time as that hound grows and is fit for action, I myself shall be a hand to protect your cattle and, and protect yourself. So he's providing the substitute dog and he himself will be the substitute person. Uh, and I shall protect all Magmorthevna, neither flock nor herd shall be taken thence from me without my knowing it. Uh, your name shall be Cúchulán uh, then, said Cothwell, um, and uh, for the, the translation breed, I've given the reference there to Fergus Kelly's uh, early Irish farming. Um, viewed against then the background of the law text, the offer made by Cúchulán uh, can be seen to be not something peculiar or particularly generous, but rather one made in accordance with the requirements of early Irish law. And I refer on the handout to uh, two other uh, um, uh, examples uh, discussed by myself, uh, where a knowledge of the legal principles involved is essential to an understanding of the text. Uh, the first one is on um, on satire, and the second one is on the Lord's share in uh, compensation uh, paid to his um, um, uh, uh, dependents, uh, that is, the prophets of justice. Right, uh, and uh, so, um, yeah. Um, now, Another consideration is manuscripts. We're, we're of course talking about 23 and 10 here, and you know, why are there why why should there be law texts in it at all? Uh, well, if you look at other uh, uh, manuscripts which contain uh, law texts, so to put it against the context of other manuscripts uh, which contain law texts. Um, now, the earliest, earliest Irish law texts date from the late 7th century, and from then on we have a continuous stream of legal writings in Old Irish, uh, 600 to 900, Middle Irish, circa 900 to 1200, and Early Modern Irish from then on, uh, circa 1650. No, unfortunately, no manuscript from the Old Irish period, that is before 900 AD, uh, survives. All texts composed in the Old Irish period are found only in later manuscripts. Um, the, uh, and the earliest manuscript containing law texts is the 12th century manuscript now in the Bodleian Library in Oxford, uh, Rawlinson, with a wonderful poetic name of Rawlinson B502. Uh, uh, and the, but the majority of the manuscripts are even uh, earlier. Now, interestingly, this manuscript is a very extensive manuscript. It contains one of the probably the longest poem ever written in Ireland, in Irish, the Sultan Rand, Middle, Middle Irish poem, a, a large collection of genealogies, but it contains two law texts, right? And these two law texts form only a very small part of the extensive and varied uh, uh, contents of this great uh, codex. But in that regard, they are parallel to our manuscript 23 and 10, two legal texts in a, uh, let's say, a C of, uh, of um, uh, uh, other texts of other genres. 
Uh, indeed, uh, you know, when you look at the uh, later manuscripts with law text, uh, complete manuscript books, which are entirely legal in content, are quite rare. Um, this is, of course, the, the issue of the, 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 the question of survival of, of, uh, of manuscripts. Uh, so many of the man manuscripts are just fragments of, of the text. Law manuscripts are actually fragments of manuscripts that suffered loss, physical loss and damage. Um, but uh, it is, the uh, of the surviving ones, uh, item number seven on the handout there, the most ext so extensive surviving law manuscript is the 16th century manuscript represented by, and it's now been split up into three parts, represented by the British Library Manuscript, Edgerton 88, the Copenhagen Manuscript uh, 261B, and the Royal Irish Academy Manuscript 23Q6, section four of that is, uh, so all of those originally belong together. This is originally a single manuscript book, uh, and was divided into three parts in the second half of the uh, 18th century. Uh, now, while this manuscript is predominantly legal, and it takes up uh, 429 pages in Binch's uh, Corpus Iuris Hibernicae, so it's roughly a sixth of the whole corpus right, um, uh, of, of, of uh, texts uh, published by Binchy. Uh, so it is predominantly legal, but again, it is not exclusively so, uh, and includes two sections consisting of tales and other non-legal texts. And I give these on the handout in uh, item number seven. Uh, and uh, interestingly, uh, uh, a number of these texts are also in 23N10, right? So there's a kind of a complementary distribution here. 23N10, mainly uh, literary. Um, Edgerton 88 plus the other bits, uh, mainly um, uh, legal, but they share a significant number of texts. They're all indented there in that list. On folios 10 to 15, you get the story of the Adat Khun the death of Kuroa, Avra uh, the eulogy of Kuroa, uh, and then the indented ones. These are most of these are Kin Dramashnakta texts, Farabish Farvalga, and so on. Um, then you have Phil uh, and Grian Glinahai, the Phantom Cherish of Kuholan, right, which are not in 23 and 10. Uh, two tales of Mongon, and then. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, in folio 63 to 79, so uh, that's a very uh, long section, uh, you get the scholar's primer, Orikechnenegis, which is a grammatical text right, in a legal manuscript, and then Imagulabendalthur, uh, the colloquy of the two sages, which can, uh, in a way, be viewed as a uh, the charter, the lawyer's charter, because it's alleged about how, or one of the elements in it, anyway, is how uh, uh, jurisdiction uh, previous to the colloquy of the two sages had been the preserve of the phila, the poet, alone. Uh, but after that, uh, it became the uh, preserve of the lawyers. So it's the lawyer's, lawyer's charter, right? uh, their, their separation from the from the phila. But of course, in fact, they never really did uh, uh, become separate from the, uh, from the uh, phila. Right? So these are the various... Uh, um, uh, connections and as William O'Sullivan then a, descript, a, a, a distinction must be made between legal texts and lawyers books right? the Edgerton in 88 will be a lawyers book uh, and uh, as William O'Sullivan uh, noted uh, medieval Irish lawyers books or manuscripts are not confined to legal matters their general education and interests cover a much wider field okay um, 
Now, uh, coming then from uh, the, the background right, into which we can place 23 and 10, we can see then that it is you know, not uh, that uh, unusual to find uh, law texts in a manuscript which is uh, uh, mainly uh, consists of texts of other uh, genres or varieties. Um, now, the most important stimulus to the study of early Irish law in uh, recent decades has, of course, been the publication of some people may not regard this as a recent, but anyway, uh, I do. Uh, in 1978 of the Corpus Iuris Hibernicae, uh, this made available for the first time in print reliable texts of almost all the surviving legal material and led to a renaissance in scholarship in this area. Now, the criteria for inclusion, are discuss I've discussed that in my companion there um, mentioned on the handout section 8. Um, uh, Binchy says in his corpus that is, uh, the, the texts are confined to the records of native Irish law that have been preserved for us in manuscripts emanating from the professional schools, uh, mostly on vellum, uh, some on paper. Now, um, whatever one may think about the grounds for, uh, on which the criteria for inclusion were established, the fact remains that a number of legal texts are omitted from uh, CIH. Uh, in the case of texts that have already been published, the omission is not, uh, is not so serious. Uh, some of these texts are those of actual legislation, which is somewhat perverse uh, to exclude uh, uh, texts of legislation such as Con Athlon, the law of Athlon, Con Dovnik, uh, the law of Sunday. Deeds and charters are excluded as well. And um, some texts on status or the, the grades of poets, some copies of some copies of texts that uh, other copies of which are included in the um, in the uh, corpus are uh, omitted. Um, uh, the major um, uh, text in Latin, the Collectio Canonum Hibernensis, well, is, is uh, excluded. Also, then, in the case of uh, a subgenre of legal texts, or what you may call the fictional law, law cases, which I mentioned before, the uh, the text on Alal and Art, uh, edited by Johan Kortals, is a fictional law case. Now, some of these are included, uh, like one version of the first judgment in Ireland is included, but not the other one. Um, uh, one version of the, uh, the story about Alan and Art is included, but not the others. Um, uh, the tale about Cúchollin slaying his son is included in the, in the corpus, uh, but others are not. Right? Um, such as the uh, the tale in our manuscript on uh, stolen ho horses. Um, okay, now the come then to the uh, three law texts in 23 and 10. Um, the they belong to the two principal categories of uh, uh, texts excluded from CIH. They're not in CIH, uh, the Corpus Iuris Hibernicae. Um, because they belong to the two, um, uh, these two principal categories. The first, somewhat perversely, as I mentioned, actual legislation, uh, and the second are fictional law cases. Now, the full, the, I've, I've given these on um, uh, section nine on the handout, uh, the Kondovnik, right, um, which is also, um, I mean, even in the, the, uh, the previous editions, this has been uh, separated into three texts and printed, uh, presented as three uh, separate um, uh, texts. In fact, it's a single text, as I um, uh, discuss in the companion, chapter five of the companion, and there's also then the article by Elizabeth Ball recently, uh, last year, Eschatology and Reform in Early Irish Law, the Evidence of Sunday Legislation. Uh, these, in fact, are three uh, uh, elements of a single text. Uh, one is published by J.G. O'Keefe, 
Kondopnik. The second was published by Kunamar without a translation. Uh, these are translated in um, uh, Elizabeth Ball's uh, article, and the third uh, by Vernon Hall Kondopnik and presented as separate um, uh, separate texts. Um, now, the importance of uh, 23 and 10, the whole uh, text of the law on Sunday is uh, the, the complete text with you know all three sections in it is preserved only in two manuscripts, uh, 23 and 10, and uh, the British Library manuscript Harry 5280. Uh, all of the other manuscript copies are defective in some way. Right? They miss, uh, uh, they're either physically damaged or they have just one, one or two uh, of the three uh, constituent parts of this uh, of this text. So that 23 and 10 is a particularly important manuscript uh, witness for this uh, for this uh, manuscript, and it's one of the two only two complete ones. Um, now the other uh, two texts that are um, uh, law texts in the manuscript are. Um, there's a copy of Im Athor Nalila Agus Art, which I've given the translation there, Mutual Restitution Between Alil and Art. Um, this, uh, unfortunately, however, this is so badly stained that, uh, I mean, it is severely, seriously badly stained, only a few words at the beginning right, uh, of the text can be read. Right? Um, that is just basically a bit of one line. Right? Um, uh, so I can say no more about that. Right. Um, I, d d looking from the the amount of space, uh, uh, it was the use of reagent. Uh, uh, but looking at the amount of space left on the page, it's I don't think it could have. There was enough space to have a complete text of the the, the complete text of the um, uh, Imadkar. Uh, and the other fictional case is, as far as I know, unique to our manuscript, and that's item ten on the handout. Um, in the printed version of this um, uh, lecture, I do intend to publish a complete translation and uh, fill in the, the fill in the dots uh, and and commentary on it. But uh, I've just given uh, 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 a bit of the text here. First, on uh, uh, the beginning of section ten on the handout, um, a, the uh, a transcript of the text as it is in the manuscript. And at the end of line nine, the only place that this is published before by Kunamar in uh, ZCP8 um, uh, without a translation. Right? Um, but at least he printed it. Right? Um, now, uh, one of the things, of course, you'd be hearing more about uh, the orthography and the peculiar orthography. You've heard some mention of it already, but the peculiar orthography used in this manuscript. Now, this text consists of the, the bit at the beginning there is a prose uh, narrative and the rest is a judgment, right? And the judgment is again cast in obscure poetic language, this, uh, uh, the form known as Ruskath. Uh, that's why there are lots of dots in the translation. Um, um, uh, but uh, so that contains its own difficulties, uh, sufficient difficulties that you don't need to pile on other difficulties in the form of peculiar orthography. Uh, but interestingly, the peculiar orthography is confined to the prose, right? At the at the beginning. Uh, so if you look at the last line of the prose there, right, you'll find um, uh, counting backwards one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seventh word from the end, A U I double S. That's a spelling for ish, right? The copula uh, is, right? But normally I S, right? So you pile on the vowels. Um, uh, and, uh, and so on. But the interesting thing about this is that this uh, uh, perverse or orthography is uh, confined to the uh, readily understandable prose at the beginning, uh, and uh, he gives up on the uh, 
the rest of it is difficult enough anyway that you uh, don't need to um, don't need to um, make it any more um, uh, uh, difficult. Uh, now, I go, on the uh, final page there, I give a bit of a restored text, right? um, uh, and you will see if you can you can switch backwards and forwards. Uh, this is normalised to a, let's say a late uh, late old Irish uh, standard, uh, roughly, um, and uh, it's quite a bit of difference between that orthography, normal orthography, and what's in the uh, the uh, manuscript. And I've put in bold. Uh, uh, some uh, diagnostic linguistic features that would indicate that this is an old Irish uh, uh, composition. Um, uh, and this is the, uh, you know, Aralari, uh, also the form Alala with the uh, the two L's in it. Uh, Ferta, the fact that you get Ferta, he was made welcome, uh, that it's the preterite, not the uh, the perfect form, not the rough form of the verb. And then uh, that uh, form uh, in bold, Kama Gombachdo, so that they um, smashed into each other so that they ruined or destroyed each other. That uh, construction there, uh, the mutual uh, mo, it mutually broke for them, is the old uh, way of expressing mutual uh, action. So that's the diagnostic old Irish feature. Telsadar um, has a, um, a, an ending that is uh, perhaps um, uh, Middle Irish. Um, but the whole, on the whole, I do think this is a, uh, this is a, an old Irish composition. Now, another interesting thing about it is that um, um, at the end of the first section of the Ruskas, there, right? Aval as rovras ishinshenres fregaval neiden, and I've translated that there with the indented reference there. Um, 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 as as it has been said in the ancient judgment when Ireland was taken. Now this is the, the, our text here on stolen horses is a fictional court case, right? And it's making reference there to another fictional case, uh, and that is the first judgment ever given in Ireland. Uh, and I've referred there. There are two versions of this edited by uh, Fang Jake Chu. Uh, the first one uh, is Conlaid's Czechish Contabit. They're quite different, uh, and but you can see anyway that this is a, some. A, it reflects it's it's a version of that uh, same uh, uh, judgment. So it's so it's referring to another um, uh, 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 fictional uh, case. So anyway, the the uh, uh, the translation at the uh, uh, from, from the the beginning of it. Lid alale arale ri dochum tevrach. So dochum tevrach. A certain king went to Tara. He was welcomed with honor. His horses were unharnessed. Um, then the boy favourites of Tara stole the bridles of the king, and they mounted his horses, and they brought them under their control for moving and jumping and shooting, and they smashed into each other, and each of them injured the other. Right. Uh, then the king set, set about uh, seeking full compensation for his horses, and the people of the kingdom set about seeking the cost of healing their sons to be paid to them. So this is the usual, uh, very often in these uh, um, uh, fictional legal cases concerning animals. Uh, the animals, uh, the animals cause harm, and they also cause harm to the humans. And you know who is responsible for this? The king, uh, the king's horses have been damaged. He's seeking compensation. The children, uh, the young boys who've been riding the horses, have also been uh, uh, injured. And uh, so then the judgment um, is uh, is given. And from some of the, the fragments, anyway, it begins with the um, the following judgment was uh, delivered to them. Um, uh, so uh, interestingly, again, this is cast in the form of Ruskoth, like in all 
the other fictional court cases, the one, the first judgment in Ireland, and the Imathgar Alilapagas Art. Uh, so um, one of the lines there that are translated, they pursue, they are pursued, they chase, they are chased. Equally, they accept free and uh, uh, unfree friends and enemies. These are the horses. In other words, I, th I think the, the, uh, the, the, the point behind all of this is that the horses are not responsible right, in the way that human beings are responsible. The horses have no choice over who uh, rides them, uh, whether it's the owner or um, uh, these boys. Um, uh, it is not victorious and is not liable for penalties unless it is driven. In other words, the riders are responsible for uh, any um, uh, damage or injury caused by uh, by horses. And um, uh, again, at the bottom it says it does not care which, which whatever um, uh, bridle controls it. It does not care. It's the same for whether it's in or around the horse's mouth that it is put. Uh, in other words, the horse again. It's a way of saying, an elaborate and um, uh, roundabout way of saying that the, the horse is not a responsible agent. Right? It is the human, the rider, who is the uh, responsible uh, agent. Uh, as I said, um, uh, I do promise a full edition in the written version of this, uh, of this text. But I do hope that um, in this text uh, we have uh, the, you know, in 23 and 10, to have shown that in his copy of the coin Dovnik, uh, it is an extremely important um, uh, witness, as it has the complete text, all three sections uh, uh, contained in it, and that in this text, uh, previously uh, uh, unedited, uh, we have a it makes an, it's a unique contribution to our knowledge of early medieval Irish law. Thank you. Thank you.